It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Speed it up and I have got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. I fire in the fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, you were sure to down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. <laughs> I can't do it like you. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a time of triumph in a tumultuous world. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 900 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Also known as Nurse Amy and also known as the hostess with the mostest on this program. <laughs> Our mission, to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. We are the perfect pair to do that. We are just <laughs> dedicated, devoted, absolutely all in with getting you to keep it together even when everything else falls apart. Absolutely. Friends and neighbors? Yes. Have you been injured in an accident with a gesticulating giraffe? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. Well, first I'm going to listen to this. Oh, yeah? There's a pregnant giraffe. Speaking of giraffes. Pregnant giraffe. April. Yes. At Adventure. I forget what it's called. Well, that's not helpful. Adventure Zoo. Something like that. <laughs> I've been watching her. She's so cute. Actually, I don't know where it is. It it doesn't say its location. But there is a giraffe giraffe webcam. Her name is April, and I believe it's AprilTheGiraffe.com. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But you can watch her. It's live streaming on YouTube. And you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, some folks complained about having this up that it was going to be graphic and I don't know maybe not children friendly well I can tell you that birth is sort of graphic yeah but it's a giraffe and (laughs) they they have babies and and that's just part of life I mean (laughs) oh what can I say oh I'm glad they put it back that was terrible so she hasn't had her baby yet no but you can see it kicking if Uh, you watch her belly the the um, quality of the webcam, if you have a good internet, is actually pretty good. 
when I was using our bad internet, it was a little fuzzy, but uh -huh. we use a good one. You can see her belly move every once in a while, and there's kicks, oh and she's going to give birth any minute. Right. They, well, they, April uh, is her name. Maybe she'll give birth in April. I hope not. The poor <laughs> thing. She's been pregnant for 15 months, which is when they're supposed to give birth. Oh. So everybody's been watching. Apparently, there's usually about 100,000 people watching at any one time, and 20 to 30 million people have tuned in. No to kidding. Watch. So mm -hmm. see April the giraffe. Well, yes. So I watched her for a few minutes yesterday, and uh, I turned it on just before I went to sleep last night because. It seemed to me, you know, I'm always looking for contractions. <laughs> as <laughs> That's a nurse, a as a nurse yes. midwife, I'm trying to see if her belly tightens up. Um, she was still pregnant before I went to sleep last night, and she's still pregnant right now. Today Seems is Friday. What's today's date? Is it the 10th already? Time flies when we're not thinking. Yeah, it's the 10th. Wow. Friday, March 10th, Almost 2017. And she's still pregnant. So anyway, you brought up giraffes. So I just want to tell everybody, if you just have a few moments to kill, don't go watch really awful things. Watch April the Giraffe. It's sweet. And her boyfriend, or husband, I don't know what you would call him, Oliver, I believe is the one that's in the cage next to him. And sometimes they come next to each other and they kind of wrap their necks around each other. It's so cute. This they really? little nuzzle. Yeah. Well, that's very nice. Now, I will say that this is probably going to be a little bit like watching water boil, right? Well, I know. That's the thing. You never know when that's going to happen. Hey, you don't. So you can't watch all the time. It'll suck the life out of you and you won't get anything done. Well, how about saying our disclaimer so I can start spouting all I, sorts of crazy you're stuff? The one, hey, you're the one who brought up the giraffe. What can I say? <laughs> so, early congratulations to April the giraffe and her new baby, which, by the way, is going to be six feet tall and weigh about 150 pounds. Wow. How'd you like to birth that one, oh, Crazy bud, baby. Bud? <laughs> have, they, have they named it yet? I guess it's no. counting the giraffes before they hatch. Huh? I, <laughs> no, but like I said, the mom is April and the dad is Oliver. It's very cute. She's 15 and she, this is her fourth baby and this is Oliver's first baby. Oh. So anyway, see happy news. That's the bloom. Here's our disclaimer. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. And let me also add hmm. that we're home. Yes, for a very short time before we <laughs> head out again. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Isn't that funny? <laughs> now listen, you guys out there. You know, in times of trouble, you might just be the end of the line when it comes to your family's health. So use some of those neurons in your noodle and learn what to do for injuries and illness and a disaster. We're going to talk about some of those things today. Now, that proves that you got you a brain, and that's a good thing. <laughs> now, smarter still would be to get some supplies and a medical kit. What better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equal, though, medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face if help is not on the way. 
and they're designed by a real doctor. At least, let me look at my license. Yep, I'm a real doctor. It's and current. I make sure that everything's current. And Don't worry. Advanced registered <laughs> nurse practitioner. So check them out. Store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. I guarantee. Hey, you got some pearls in your oyster? Well, we learn as much from you guys as you do from us. So connect with us. It's easy. And here's the lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. Sure. You can email us at drbones, that's plural, podcast, which is what you're listening to, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages you can like for us, Doom and Bloom, and also Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. You have a personal Facebook page, which is Joe Alton, MD. Sure, friend me. You can friend us. Oh, boy. And when I say us, I know it's his name, but it is still us. <laughs> we have Twitter at Prepper Show. And, of course, we have a YouTube channel. I've got, uh, actually, I think you recorded three videos yesterday. Right. So I got to get cracking. I got to get cracking. You go, girl. Editing. Yes, the YouTube channel is Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. That's right. And we also have uh, our podcast, this podcast, which you can find on Blog Talk Radio. And, of course, our other podcast, American Survival Radio, a current events podcast, now broadcast from KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio, out of Salem, Oregon. The Voice of Lubbock, Texas, KRFE, and, of course, our sponsor, Genesis Communications. You can find them at GCNlive.com. You do us, by the way, a tremendous favor by following our Twitter, our Facebook, YouTube, and other social media outlets. Don't miss all this awesome stuff that we have to talk about on a weekly basis, sometimes you can a daily also get basis. it on iTunes too. Oh, and it's also available on, on iTunes. Right, also on iTunes. Yeah. Hey, and don't forget to see us when we wait, travel. Wait, one more thing. Uh oh. If they follow us on iTunes, it's called the Survival Medicine Hour. Okay. I think it has the in front of it. Well, if you but look you on Block fa- Talk, that's how you can search for it too. Yeah, Survival Medicine Hour, the Survival Medicine Hour. All right, and hey, you know we are always traveling the country, spreading the good word of disaster medical preparedness, and we are going to be in the Great Midwest, just north of Chicago, at the RK Survival Expo, and that's on March what, sixteenth to seventeenth. Um, no, actually, it's the oh. eight, 18th and 19th. Oh, 18th and 19th. Oh, boy. <coughs> Excuse me. 16th is when we fly up there. Oh, I got you. Okay. And we'll be giving uh, free lectures, of course, on uh, survival medicine. That uh, We'll have a, a wound care suturing and stapling class, which I think is pretty oh, full. Oh, I don't even... There might be two or three spots left. Seriously. Uh-huh. That has been an overwhelming... Um, yeah, a lot response. of a lot of demand there. early. A lot of people, what happens is they wait like the week before, mm-hmm. and they'll sign up because they're maybe they're not sure of their work schedules or if they can get the day off or you know what the weekend is going to bring for them. Right. But wow, folks, if you are planning on being in Chicago and wanted to take that suture class, tick 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 is oh, all I can goodness. say. I know. We'll also bring. Our entire line of medical kits, so you can take a look at Yay. them. And the most important thing is we just like you to come by and say hi. Oh, we met some really nice folks. Can we talk about this now? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I always have to ask you because you're trying to steer me elsewhere. All right. So we went to, we stopped in Atlanta to see my dad. That was, uh, gosh, 
that was about, <laughs> we're going back to February here. Uh, uh, that was around the 23rd, and then we were in Memphis on the 25th and 26th. Right, Germantown, Pretty Tennessee. busy show. Yeah, it was. Um, lots of traffic. Beautiful weather. Oh, it was so nice to get out of South Florida. Yep. Although I hear Memphis is having terrible thunderstorms today. All right, hope you guys Friday, are okay over I there. I know. Be safe, all, all you folks that were living around there. And then we went down to... Mardi Gras. We drove straight. It was about a six-hour drive. We drove a little bit Sunday night. But uh, Monday we got to uh, New Orleans, downtown, and Monday night they had two parades. Uh-huh. Hours and hours of. Of, of one float after another with lively music and lively people. and Throwing all sorts of stuff at you. Hit you right in the head fist- if you don't watch out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We saw people with injuries. They had, like, welts on their arms. I got hit in the head with one of them. <laughs> you really some beads. You really had to watch out. You just be careful because the beads were flying. But they, I swear, they threw millions, millions of beads. Wow! If you think about all the yeah. people that were lined up, and then the ones that came home with a bag of them. went on the floor. Right, we came home with a bag on it, bag of them. But some of them went on the ground. There were beads everywhere. Oh my goodness. Then we went to a wonderful show. In Gonzales, near Baton Rouge. Yep. Um, not too many people there. The ones that were there were so nice. Thank you guys for coming out and saying hi. I really appreciate it. But the reason they weren't there was what I was told by the folks was that the Great Flood. There was a big flood there. Had devastated Recently, yeah. so thousands and thousands of homes. I heard story after story of, of the people standing in front of me who were not living in their homes currently had driven several hours to come to this show that was not too far away from their home, but their homes were unlivable. Some of them have to completely demolish to the ground their entire houses and rebuild. So what I was told was it was not a busy show because people were spending the weekend trying to fix their homes up. A lot of people didn't have insurance. Apparently, FEMA has given out some money, but it's not enough to cover it. So, sort of like the Gatlinburg he, Fire of the fall, right? That just missed our house. So people were spending the weekends, which I can understand, doing uh, not so much home improvement, but home fixing and repair. Right. So, thank you, folks, who came out to say hello. We really appreciate it. And the ones that weren't able to make it. We'll catch you next time. I really hope, you know, the guy who put on the show lives near there. And I told everybody who told me these stories to please go speak to him and let him know that there are lots of folks out there who would have come had they been able to. So maybe, you know, in six months or a year when things are settled and more normal for them, that they'll be able to come out and enjoy themselves instead of working every day to to fix the homes that they live in, which, of course, is the priority. Absolutely. Well, you know, last time we talked about dental supplies, what you should have for long-term survival. We gave you a whole big old list, but we didn't actually talk about how to perform a general dental exam. So I want to talk a little bit today uh, as our first subject, uh, what you do to check out a mouth when things go south. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good one. You're always clever that way. Oh, so clever. <laughs> Although I'm you, losing brain cells so rapidly. I'll catch them, honey. Okay, thank you. I'm just like shedding <laughs> Are they them. falling out of your ears? Out my ears, out my I'll nose. I'll put my hands up. I'll, I'll catch them. All right. <laughs> well, everybody knows your hands and your 
mouth are colonized with bacteria. So anytime you do a dental exam, it always should begin with washing your hands and putting on gloves. Of course, we always mention using nitrile gloves instead of latex. Some people are allergic to latex and nitrile is more hypoallergenic. Now, all of your instruments, of course, you should have them nice and cleaned and sterilized, maybe even put them in the pressure canner, you know, and, uh, yep. you know, 15 minutes at about 250 PSI, that would probably do it. Uh, it, it if an, especially if an instrument had touched blood, you should have some kind of sterilization method, even if it's just boiling water. Uh, and we talk about that also in all sorts of articles on the website and our book and all that. Um, you want some alcohol, bleach solution possibly. I mean, that would also be another way in which you can clean things, although I think that would be better if there's no blood involved. Now, what you do to start off with, you have your patient open your mouth so you can take a good look. You need to have a dental mirror and dental probe. Uh, we, some people call that an explorer, and those are tools to start with. We talked about them last time. And so you want to take a look at a couple of things. And the first off, does the patient have problems opening or closing their mouth? And also you want to take a look for sores that might be on the edges of their mouth. And these are sometimes seen in certain vitamin deficiency or it could be canker sores or cold sores. Uh, one problem with uh, jaws and opening your mouth, which is really common, is called TMJ. Right. Temp right. Temporomandibular junction. Exactly. But that's a pretty common problem. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of people do have those issues. And what you have to do when you go to the dentist is you have to take a break because otherwise you'll get like a cramp in your jaw. And it's very, very painful. Does that sound like someone who knows what they're talking yeah, about? It sounds like <laughs> you, actually. I know you have that problem. And a lot of people do. And insurance won't cover it to be fixed. Fully. So, hmm, thanks, insurance companies. So what you got to do once you have looked at the outside, of course, you got to look at, well, the inside. So you want to check the linings of the cheeks, see the roof of the mouth, uh, the tongue, the tonsils in the back of the throat if they have, if they have tonsils. And uh, you want to look at the gums. The gums, are they pink or are they red? Usually gums that are inflamed, uh, a condition called gingivitis, are sort of swollen looking, sort of puffier looking than... And, and reddish compared to people who don't have it, in which uh, the gums are not swollen and they look a, a, a light pink. Now, another clue for gingivitis is do the gums bleed easily when you touch them lightly with a probe? And so that's something that you can take a look at and get a good idea of the general health of the gums. So, by the way, I, would, I mentioned canker and cold sores. You know, I don't know if you know this, but these are not the same thing. Cold sores, otherwise known as fever blisters, they start off as little blisters, and they're caused by the type 1 herpes or oral herpes virus. They mostly affect the roof of your mouth, the hard part of the gums. Uh, canker sores, however, are a little less certain in origin. I mean, they're, these are really shallow, and they affect uh, soft parts like the inside of your lips, the inside of your cheeks, sometimes the floor of the mouth, under, under the tongue. So you'll see them. They are sort of different different things and you you might identify them another great reason to have gloves on by the way uh, other soft tissues to check include the tonsils are the tonsils enlarged i mean to find out if they're enlarged of course you can see look for pictures of enlarged tonsils now or 
in times of trouble, what you can do is look at people that are, aren't having problems and just take a look at the size of their tonsils and compare them to the patient that you're looking at, that you're examining. And that is oftentimes a way to, as a medic, identify when there's a problem is take a look at people that are not having problems and compare them with people that are. So if they are dotted with uh, little pustules, little pimply looking things, or if the, or the back of the throat is, it could be signs of tonsillitis or it could be signs of strep throat. That's a very, very common condition and can cause a lot of problems, sore throat, and, uh, you know, difficulty swallowing in some cases. Everybody's a little different as to how bad it gets in, uh, in them. Now, once you've checked out the soft tissues inside the mouth, it's time to examine the teeth. Now, you're going to use your dental probe or explorer and look around for any obvious cavities. Now, a cavity is going to look like a dark pit where bacteria has sort of demineralized the enamel. And these are usually in the top tops of the crowns. You'll see that you can see them almost anywhere, though. But uh, oftentimes in little crevices in the crowns, you'll see that as the origin of a lot of cavities. Now, you have to also look for missing fillings. Uh, you have to look for any broken you know, teeth or chipped teeth. You know, a lot of irregularities can, can be seen just with the naked eye. So the truth of the matter is that even if there isn't anything visible, there may still be serious decay between the teeth or below the gums. Uh, people with this issue oftentimes have pain, otherwise known as toothache, once they get into areas where nerves are involved. Of course, of course uh, that you have to, the bacteria has to dig a little bit into, through, and through the enamel into the softer parts of the teeth to, to have that. That's called the dentin, the layer beneath the enamel, and beneath that is the pulp. And that's where the nerves are, and once you're you've gotten there, you've got a lot of issues. Now, of course, uh, we have a couple of great dental books where there is no dentist is a good one, and also we have um, a number of chapters on dental issues in the Survival Medicine Handbook, now in its third edition. Now, once you have identified the problem area, you can do your best to deal with the problems. Now, with the item, items that we talked about, you'll be able to deal with a lot of dental issues and so this is something that you should do, of course, only when times of trouble occur. There is not modern dental care available. These are the things that you're going to want to get checked out by professionals uh, in these kinds of situations. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to do this as an ongoing series. And so I'm going to talk about what to do to uh, fill a lost uh, filling and uh, and we're even going to talk about extraction of teeth, and we're going to do that just in different segments uh, in future shows. So, you know, we'll probably do a little something on dental for each of the next several shows, and you don't want to miss those. Let's talk a little bit more about hemorrhagic wounds. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago, and I want to continue that when a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what the physical effects of blood loss are on the body, how you can sort of gauge how much blood somebody has lost. Uh, if, let's say, they are brought to you on a stretcher, you weren't, weren't there where the actual, when the actual injury was there. We talked about some of the physical signs when you've lost this amount of blood and physical signs when you've lost that amount of blood. And that's something you can see in one of our, of course, on our website and in and, and previous programs. But 
we've got to talk about, we have to talk about hemorrhagic wounds because certainly these are things that can occur any, in any situation where there is not rule of law. Now, in a destabilized society, you've got to have a lot of civil unrest. And so these traumatic wounds, they're going to be pretty commonplace. So you've got to be prepared for the worst possible injuries. And a lot of these will be bleeding, for example, either from extremities, from the abdomen, the chest. And unfortunately, the ones in the, in the abdomen and chest are likely to be fatal unless you have modern medical care available. If you, you could look back to the Civil War, where there was a 72% chance of death from any penetrating chest wound and a 68% chance of death from any penetrating abdominal wound. So you can see that we may be thrown back to that era in austere settings or in a remote location or in any true calamity that occurs that just takes away modern medicine. It just uh, is amazing how much we can do to save lives these days. Now, of course, cuts in the skin, these can be minor, they can be catastrophic, they can be superficial, they can be deep, they can be clean, or they can be infected. Now, most significant cuts are called lacerations, and these penetrate both the outer layer of the skin, called the epidermis, and the inner layer of the skin, called the dermis, and they're associated, obviously, with bleeding, sometimes very major bleeding. Now, in Studies of casualties in recent wars, 50% of those that were killed in action died of blood loss, and 25% died within the first, what they call, golden hour after being wounded. And a victim's chance of survival diminishes significantly after one hour, so that's why that's called the golden hour. Then there's a threefold increase in death rate for every 30 minutes thereafter. So it's even worse if it's longer than that. And the truth of the matter is, though, if it's an arterial bleed, it just takes a few minutes for a person to bleed out. And so I mention in a lot of my talks the platinum five minutes instead because that's a situation where rapid action is necessary. Now, venous bleeding looks like dark red blood. It drains sort of steadily from the wound, and that is one type of bleeding. Arterial bleeding, though, is bright red due to a higher oxygen content, and it comes out in spurts that correspond usually to the pulse of the patient. Now, the vein and artery oftentimes run together, so serious lacerations can have both. Now, once you're below the level of the skin, the blood vessels become larger, and nerves may actually be involved. They also run near blood vessels in a lot of cases. So you got to assess circulation, you have to assess sensation or motor ability, in other words, the ability to move the injured area, and you'll notice more problems with vessel and nerve damage as the wound is deeper and as uh, there's an element of crush involved. So it depends on the circumstances. Now, the initial field assessment of a victim, that usually involves the acronym ABCDE, a is the airway, is the airway open, B is the patient breathing, uh, and C is the patient bleeding, that's C. Now D would be disability, can the victim feel and move extremities, can they respond adequately to questions, in other words, it tells you a little bit about their physical and mental status, and of course E is exposure, can you see the full extent of the injury? In other words, are there other hidden injuries such as an exit wound? And exit wounds aren't always directly opposite from the entry wound. For example, if 
I was heading into gunfire and I was crouched over, which would probably be a wise choice. And if I got hit, (laughs) my entry wound may be in my chest, but my exit wound could be near my butt. (laughs) It's true. I'm sorry. Don't Don't be laughing at that. That's a horrible thing. (laughs) No, but there's so many jokes that can be made. (laughs) So many. So many major hemorrhage jokes. Oh, Oh. okay. Well, I'm not laughing about a real injury. I'm (laughs) laughing about a pretend injury. All right. Well, ABCDE, that's a normal initial assessment. However, in people who are in hostile settings or in situations where uh, there's gunfire, certainly, uh, that sequence changes to C-A-B-D-E, because, and C, remember, is circulation, in other words, is a patient bleeding. In these circumstances, the cause of death is more often hemorrhage than anything else. In other words, in normal, if somebody is on the street and they keel over, it might be a heart attack, but if you're in a hostile encounter, if somebody keels over, it's probably because they've been shot and they're bleeding to death. So, you have to take quick action to stop the bleeding. That, though, that takes first first place in terms of your priorities and you but you can determine airway breathing and mental status pretty much almost simultaneously with the bleeding wound as a lot of people will be conscious which requires the ability to take an air to speak uh, to uh, be able to follow your instructions and they're talking which obviously needs you need air in your lungs to uh, make sounds right they have to remember patient's going to be in shock so Anybody who's been injured in this way, who's had any significant bleeding, will lose heat quickly. You've got to keep them warm by covering them with a blanket, if at all possible. If the wound's in an extremity, you've got to raise those legs 12 inches above the level of the heart. Interestingly, after the wound's in the torso, you may not get as much benefit. Maybe you shouldn't elevate the legs. Now, it's important to know that bleeding may not be coming from the most visible wound. Where there's an entry wound, there's probably an exit wound, as I mentioned, depending on the kind of projectile. And you need to take a good look around, and that's why it's so useful to have a EMT shears or bandage scissors, anything that can allow you to cut through clothing so you can really take a good look and see where that bleeding is coming from. The bleeding could be coming from the exit wound more than the entry wound. Now, when you encounter a person with a bleeding wound, the first course of action in many cases, the first course of action is to stop the hemorrhage, of course, and in the grand majority of cases, Direct pressure on the bleeding vessel might stop bleeding all by itself, and bleeding in an extremity might be slowed also by elevating a limb uh, above the level of the heart that decreases the blood pressure in the extremity and maybe the force by which blood leaves the body. Of course, you should have uh, gloves uh, to, to prevent the wound. As we mentioned with a dental exam, you should try to prevent contaminating the wound with dirty hands uh, and of course, putting on the gloves, when you put on gloves, always try to avoid touching the parts of the gloves that are going to be touching the person. In other words, maybe touched, use the sleeves to place them on. Now, if there's no gloves, you grab a bandana, a cloth, some other barrier. At the very least, uh, that will be helpful. Now, of course, it depends on the amount of time you have. Somebody's really bleeding. Do not stop the go-around you know, looking for supplies. If the bleeding is severe, you got to act and start with direct pressure. 
If you have bandage dressings, use them or any clean cloth to pack the wound. Uh, bandages are not just for sopping up blood. They're very useful to help apply pressure. So pack them into the area where the bleeding appears to be occurring. Start there and pack the rest of the wound, if it's a big wound, uh, in, an, in a manner that causes the most pressure on that area. Now, there's a great uh, vacuum pack, compressed gauze, that's called made by H&H, &H, uh, which are tiny little squares. If you look at if you look at them in the package, but when you take them out, you can f unfold them to something that's four and a half inches by twelve feet long. Now, more than one dressing might be needed to keep the wound from bleeding further. So, I would recommend not removing a dressing that's in place. Just add more on top, and that will help put more pressure on the area and that is something that I think is very useful. Now you may wonder why I haven't mentioned tourniquets yet. The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes it's very clear, for example, with bright red bleeding, when that's spurting out of somebody's leg, for example, from a uh, injury to a femoral artery, that placing a tourniquet is the first thing you should do. And that's something that's very important to to realize that arterial bleeding will be difficult to stop without some kind of major pressure with the use of a tourniquet. And as a matter of fact, the current uh, tactical combat care, casu combat casualty care guidelines indicate that that is probably what you should do first. And so in the past, they were a little reluctant to use these, but they found in Afghanistan, Iraq, lot of people were saved by rapid use of tourniquets. Now, other people mention uh, pressure points. You'll see pressure points as a uh, way to help decrease bleeding. These are locations where major arteries come close enough to the skin to be able to be compressed manually and theoretically slow down bleeding further down the track of the blood vessel. So if you have bleeding in a lower leg, you have a major vessel uh, called the popliteal artery and back of the knee. If you press on the back of the knee, theoretically it will slow down bleeding in a lower leg wound, the wound further down the bodies. Now, that the problem with that is that, first off, if you don't know the map of the pressure points, you know, it, if you don't know that, it, it may not help. So it doesn't take the place of using a tourniquet for arterial bleed, in my opinion, and it doesn't take the place of well-aimed direct pressure on the bleeding vessel itself that may be inside the wound. Now, if you have some experience with this, you might consider having a hemostat around in, as part of your kit. Hemostats are uh, little instruments that can clamp a damaged blood vessel, but this is only something you should do if you can easily reach and see the area that's bleeding. You don't want to just fiddle around in there and just blindly grab with this tourniquet. You might clamp cause, a nerve, you may cause, cause, more you cause more damage, exactly. absolutely. And and this is hard sometimes because when a vein or artery is completely transected, especially an artery, it has a tendency to retreat into the soft tissue. So that's something... Oh, that was a good word. Normally we say retract, but retreat it, yes. is more visual. Yes. Yes, very I'm good. I'm a visual guy, <laughs> which is why I'm on the radio, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about tourniquet. If You can't stop the bleeding any other way. It's appropriate to use a tourniquet. And this is something that's very important for injuries where transport's difficult or, or impossible. Let's say a homestead, a remote homestead or a 
camp in the back country, things like that, or of course, gunshot and stab wounds from, you know, hostile encounters. Now your bandage dressings will always be packed directly into the wound. The tourniquet, however, shouldn't be. The tourniquet should be at least two inches above the bleeding area. Some people, if there's, let's say, a forearm injury, will place the tourniquet further up on the upper arm. And the reason why they do that is because there's one only one bone in the upper arm versus two bones in the forearm. Right. And the same thing goes <clears throat> with the legs, by the way. They're the femur, your thigh bone is one bone, and the upper leg, the lower leg, has two bones, the fibula and tibia. So why would you do that? Because, uh, because you only have one bone that needs to be pressed against, you'll have better a better ability to get the pressure to be all even the all exactly. the way around. Yes, exactly. exactly. And in, in a lot of these situations, you know, you just can't do half measures. So this may may not be an unreasonable thing to do, and a lot of medics will will tell you that that's what that's what they would do. But at least two inches. And they term it high and tight. High and tight is what they call. It. And that's something they they do when they're having to return fire they don't have a moment to say oh well this is exactly two inches above your wound to just throw it up high and tighten it up right and speaking of tight half measures are not appropriate it's going to be painful but this person may be bleeding to death so make sure that you really make it tight do not stop tightening it until it's clear that the bleeding has stopped. Usually in that case, the pulses beyond the level of the tourniquet will be gone, and that's what you want, really. And that, right. Because and that, that's actually two things that you could check for, is obviously you twist it until the bleeding stops, but check the pulse, too, below the injury. Those are the two things that you should be checking for, if you can. Obviously, if there's an amputation and that doesn't exist, you can't do that. But <clears throat> the main thing is just to twist the windlass until the bleeding is absolutely stopped. I'm not sure you've talked about different types. We are going to yeah. talk. We are going to talk about different types Good. of tourniquets. So, all right, then you yeah. guys will understand what I mean by windlass very shortly. Oh, speaking of tourniquets, uh, never place a tourniquet on a joint. Right. Okay, so avoid a joint. You're never going to place one on a knee or directly on the knee or an elbow or areas like that. Exactly. So let's review. Let's review as. You mentioned, Amy, some of the tourniquets that are available for inclusion in your survival medical storage. And, of course, you should always practice with them just to make sure that you know that the first time that you use it isn't when somebody is bleeding to death. You right. Be, and let's understand that tourniquets are not sterile. Right. So whatever packaging they're in, which the tourniquets that we're going to be talking about, the military style, at least the first two, are in a clear package. It's plastic. Rip that off, and everyone in the family practice with it. Yes. They are very simple to learn. However, it's, if it's the first time you've ever seen this contraption, which is what it looks like, <laughs> you won't really know what to do. But once you have seen it and used it and practiced with it, it's going to feel like the simplest thing in the world. Second nature. Exactly. Well, there are two different types of tourniquets, the inflatable kind and pneumatic kind, which they use, for example, in operating rooms when they're 
doing surgery, let's say, on Would, an extremity. Oftentimes, they'll place a tourniquet. Similar to a blood pressure cuff. Yes, exactly. And some people can actually use a blood pressure cuff. Blood pressure cuff. If they can in, get enough pressure in to stop a bleeding. pinch, right? That's right. Uh, the uh, most common ones, though, that are going to be on your medical in your medical kit are going to be the non-inflatable versions, and a lot of these can be applied with one hand. Some of them uh, are better with two. Then you have various choices. Now, the one that most people know about is the CAT or Combat Application Tourniquet, and these have gone through a evolution. Wow. Matter of fact, I think we're in Generation Seven. We are in Generation Seven. In fact, um, I just got a delivery of fifty of them. On Saturday while we were gone, and I have them. They're fresh. I haven't put them on the website yet, though. But we have them. The reason I got this seventh generation and not the previous generations is I've had lots and lots of military personnel, and and maybe some of you are listening and may have been the ones that have stood in front of me and told me that the cat tourniquet has broken in your hand. This seventh generation has a thicker windlass. Now, this windlass is a rod. Still plastic, but thicker. Still plastic. And the interesting thing is the older military guys let me know, which I did not know, that the very first cat tourniquet that ever came out had a metal windlass rod, which is the rod that you turn to tighten up the tourniquet. They were metal, and what happened was these were being issued, of course, for the military and not civilian use because, you know, until recently, tourniquets were horrible and they're going to kill you and your right. arm will have to be cut Tool off. Of the and, devil, yeah. Oh, you know, it's not like that for real, but that was the image. And so strictly military, the military said, nope, too expensive, go back, retool this. And so they did, and they cheapened it up. And they made a thin plastic rod that apparently was breaking. Now, another issue is there's a lot of fake cat tourniquets out there. Yeah, I think it's more likely that those knockoffs will it's, break than the actual cat right. combat application tourniquet. Right. This this seventh generation, if it doesn't have a gray Velcro cover, and I'm going to take some pictures of this. I'm, I'm going to put this on Doom and Bloom. It, it, it has got to have certain things, and I will write this all in an article. But if you have a picture of a cat, an actual cat of yeah. any sort, mm-hmm. right. <clears throat> that is a Chinese knockoff. And they have misinterpreted the C-A-T to actually mean a cat. So if you have any stamp of a cat anywhere on the plastic or the paper cover, it is not a real cat tourniquet. Please, please be careful of your sourcing. These tourniquets are absolutely not cheap. They're not cheap for me to buy as a wholesale dealer. They are not ever going to be as cheap as you find them on eBay unless they are fake or used. So be careful of where you get your equipment from. Very, very careful. So this plastic rod basically is once you have it on the arm and you and you tighten the band, which uh, is I think about two point four inches now in the the latest generation of the cat, then you twist this this plastic uh, rod or windlass until it's tight enough that the bleeding stops, and then it has a little place that you can uh, secure it. 
Now it's, there's it's so difficult to describe this, folks. Yeah, I'm the, sorry. <laughs> now the soft tea tourniquet, the special operations forces tourniquet, has is very similar except that it has metal screws and it has a metal windlass made out of um, airplane, fuselage airplane grade aluminum, yeah, yes. fuselage grade aluminum. And this stuff, this thing here, you got to put in your will. I mean, it is solid well, as a rock. Well, that's why I transferred our kits to utilizing the soft tourniquet because, again, the guys who were out on in the field using them um, nicely begged me to change over to the soft tee. And so that is what is in all of my kits. Right. They and have it, uh, some of them have a second tourniquet also, which you, if you, you're going to talk about. If you know how to use the cat, you know how to use the soft tee. It's very very similar. It's very similar. There's a loop. Right. There's a buckle. You're going to tighten the loop through the buckle. Pull on the strap. The strap's either going to secure with metal teeth on the soft tee tourniquet or through a Velcro closure on the cat tourniquet, and then you're going to twist the windlass. And this rod, you just twist it and twist it and twist it. There's two different securing mechanisms for the cat, and there's one for the soft tee. Soft tee has a triangle on two sides, so you can slip the rod through this triangle and hold it. Or the cat has um, a plastic, Secure. like a half clip, yeah. Right. Exactly. Now, there's a third one that's just come out very similar to it. Would you remember who that, made that? That one is made uh, by a guy named Brock. He's an Army emergency physician. The, the SWAT, it's very stretchy. Um, it's like a big stretchy band, and that's actually a second tourniquet that we put in most of our kits. Or uh, even for the, the personal kit and the grab-and-go, it's the primary tourniquet because... It can be used on any one of any size. Right, and you need less training. It, I mean, it's so intuitive because the the word SWAT, S-W-A-T, basically stands for the instructions, which is stretch, wrap, and tuck. And so I've actually had older children place this tourniquet appropriately on me. Yep. And certainly, uh, to and and certainly you want to have uh, an, an article. That can be used by somebody who may not be as well trained as you are, right. in, co- in case you're the person that is injured, right? You want any everybody to be able to use what's in your pack, regardless of whether they are medics or whether they are not. So, so that's something that certainly uh, that certainly can be used. Now, the SWAT looks a lot different than the CAD or the soft the T because it's basically style, just a right. wide elastic band. Uh, you can't break it. Don't worry. Uh, that can <laughs> that can also be used. Not only can it be used as a tourniquet, it can be used as a backup tourniquet if you need a second tourniquet. It can be used as a pressure dressing. Right. It can be used at, to uh, fasten or to secure splints, for example. It yeah, can be really used as a sling. As a sling. It can also be used um, to secure any kind of dressings. Right. And it can be used like an ace bandage, an ace wrap around an ankle or maybe a sprained wrist. So it, it really is great. But the, the main thing is either the second, a second backup tourniquet or to be used in, in folks that aren't military arm and leg size. So you're talking about children, teenagers, you elderly. Use it on your dog. Extremely thin. Exactly. I was just going to get their pets. So 
it's really versatile and it's something you should have both if you can. It's very lightweight and it comes in a package that will protect it from uh, UV um, light. You want to keep it in the package. You can open it just like the other ones, but just slip it back in the packaging if you're going to have it on the dashboard of your car. In 90 degree heat, weather, yeah. Heat, heat won't, won't bother it. It's the rays of the light. So you need to keep it out of the light. Um, the, the newest one that you were just talking about, I just got an announcement yesterday. In fact, probably hardly anyone who isn't on Sam Medical's newsletter list, which I'm sure very few of you are out there, will even know there is a pre-order for a brand new tourniquet. Right. It's called the Sam uh, after the structural aluminum malleable. It's the people who make all the splints. Right. It's called Sam XT. Uh, it sort of combines the cat and the soft tea. It'll be very interesting. Uh, it has a metal windlass. The securing clip is just like the cat. It has Velcro, but when you pull on the strap, it's got two little holes that poke through a series of double holes, which are throughout the entire strap. So when you're when you're pulling on that strap, it eventually clicks and puts two plastic holes through a, a pair of the holes in the strap to secure the strap. You're still supposed Almost to, like a ratchet. You're still supposed to put the Velcro down. So I guess that's two ways to keep the strap secure, and then you're going to still be turning the the metal windlass. It's not for order. I've signed up for pre-order, so I don't know what the pricing is going to be. It could be outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> we'll um, the soft tea and the cat are both around $30, $32 uh, if you're getting a real one. <laughs> Just want to mention that. Um, the SWAT tea is about $12, which is nice. So I don't know what this Sam XT will be. But, you know, people keep putting out new tourniquets, and all we can do is check them, check out, them out. Check them out and see. You know, I, I'm a little worried about those two plastic. Um, pieces that that hold the strap, how strong and secure those are going to be. That I'm a little worried about. But Now, there are other tourniquets. Now, the RAP tourniquet is otherwise known as a rapid application tourniquet. It's essentially a, a, originally looked like a bungee cord. Now it's more of a flattened cord. They type fixed of thing. it yeah. a little better. <laughs> right. The, the, you wrap that around the extremity above the wound, then it's fitted into a metal clip to maintain the pressure. Now, that's also relatively inexpensive and has been rumored to be gaining some ground among the military. And doesn't take up too much space. I, I have people who hate them and people who love them, and that's the same thing. I have people who who hate the cat, and some people are like, well, that's all I know. So it's kind of what you've been trained with um, and, exactly. and what you're comfortable with and how much space you have also. Now, the thing with the rat, though, I want to say is that each successive coil of this bungee cord type of material, which always must be placed next to and not on top of the first coil. Right. Lined up next to. Exactly. So that's important. There are a number of different other tourniquets. So the mat tourniquet, mechanical advantage uh, tourniquet, has a cuff with a key that you wind like an old-fashioned wind-up toy and uh, has a spot that when you press it, releases pressure instantly. And so that's something that is very useful. A lot of these are best used with two hands, um, but 
uh, with practice. You can use them with one. There's one called the Parabelt, which is actually like a utility belt mm -hmm. that's designed for right for daily wear. That becomes sort of a ratcheting tourniquet with a self-locking system, and that's available in a bunch of different sizes. Those are not cheap, though. Right. I think I think that cost me about $125. No oh boy. Well, that is expensive. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. That's why I worry about the cost of some of these. And, of course, the pneumatic tourniquets, uh, there's one that is called an emergency and military tourniquet, EMT tourniquet. Uh, these are expensive as well and are reminiscent, as I said, as we said, uh, of blood pressure cuffs. And they're just inflated until the bleeding stops. Now, of course, you can improvise the tourniquet. Necessity is a mother of invention. You can certainly... Uh, use a bandana and a stick. Uh, you wrap the bandana or other wide strip of cloth above the wound, tie the stick in place, make a knot over the stick, and then twist the stick until adequate pressure is applied, and then tie another top knot on top. This is obviously less effective than commercial models. Uh, one caveat, do not use anything smaller than an inch wide. If you use things like paracord or... I don't know, wiring, anything that's narrow, you can absolutely damage the skin. You could cut the skin. It has to be wide and it has to be um, able to have pressure put around the entire, let's say, around the entire circle of the... Circumference. Circumference, thank you, of the extremity. Right. So it it's not cutting into one particular spot too deeply. Now, remember, when a tourniquet stops bleeding in a torn vessel, also stops circulation in vessels that are intact. And tourniquets are indeed painful, and prolonged use can cause your patient to use a limb. Lose a limb. Now, of course, save a life. Lose a limb. I, if it was that choice, I'd save the life. Uh, it, but you have to remember that after a period of time, a couple hours or more, then you have to sort of start making decisions. And, of course, if you have a hospital nearby, great. But if you have to make the decision at one point or another, you may have to loosen the tourniquet and see if the bleeding has stopped. At this point, you might consider just after placing a tourniquet to place a hemostatic agent like Celox or Quick Clot in the wound and a pressure dressing on top. And we're going to talk about that as one of our topics next week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to check out our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, available on Amazon and on our website. Thanks. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.